This is Pathways. I'm Randy Brutquitz. My guest today is Dr. Melanie Fox, who received her PhD degree in biochemistry and molecular biology from the Indiana University School of Medicine, where she studied RNA polymerase and transcription. She then went on to a one-year postdoctoral fellowship, also at Indiana University, before moving to the Indiana State Museum. Dr. Fox is currently the Science and Innovation Program Developer at the Indiana State Museum in Indianapolis, a position she moved into in September of 2016. As we will hear today, Melanie Fox has had a long-term interest in science outreach and in communicating science to lay audiences, which has led her to her current position. Melanie Fox, welcome to Pathways. Hi, thanks for having me. Question right off the bat, what is a science and innovation program developer and what do you do on a daily basis? So it is a brand new position. I am the first person in it and I am working to develop mutually beneficial partnerships with research institutions across the state. So we want to highlight the cutting edge research that takes place in the state and we want to help researchers connect with the public in a variety of different ways through programs at the museum, different events, um, anything um, that a researcher is interested, we'd love to hear about and talk about and um, share research and hard sciences at the Nanny State Museum. So it's just these are targeted to, to lay audiences or anybody who has an interest in science who may be in science? Um, yes, all of the above. So a lot of the programming at the State Museum is for multi-generational audiences. So we like to bring in families like grandparents and kids and have them interact with um, the researcher and the content and whatever we might have on display. Um, we hope to bring in people who aren't necessarily, didn't know they were interested in science. We have a lot of art and cultural exhibits and so we like to um, try to tap into that audience as well and bring them in and spark an interest or at least acknowledge to them this is the kind of stuff that goes on right in your backyard. It's really exciting. It, that's great. And so in, <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of say the spark, mm -hmm. or I call it getting bitten by the bug, mm -hmm. what about your spark? What about your time you were bitten by the bug? When did you get interested <laughs> in science? Have you always been interested in science or has that been a relatively recent in the grand scheme of things, mm -hmm. although you do have a PhD. <laughs> that is an excellent question. I have always had a lot of interests, and I think that is why I didn't stay in, a, in an academic lab, because I, in my position, I'm able to do a lot of very diverse things. And so I did struggle in high school when I was thinking about going to college, what I wanted to major in. And I always liked science. I just wasn't sure if it was the thing I wanted to do. Um, and as I got into science classes in my high school, I really, I could see myself doing that as a career. I liked to be able to tinker with things and figure out what was going on and figure out how to piece things together. Um, so then I got my degree in, it's a Bachelor of Arts in Biology and knew that I didn't want to teach K through 12. I wanted to do some of the hands-on stuff. Um, so then I, uh, became a research technician at the School of Medicine and then started the PhD program. When you started the PhD program, what were your plans? What was your ultimate goal at that moment in time? You said mm -hmm. you spent a, some time as a, as a research tech mm -hmm. and lots of folks have done that to see if they really wanna have a career in science, but mm -hmm. what, were, what was your thinking back then? Um, I was fortunate as a technician. I had uh, two projects that I was in charge of the project, so I was able to do 
research um, and see a project from beginning to end as much as you can in two years. And I knew I really liked that and I knew that I wanted to be able to work autonomously. I didn't want someone to tell me each step along the way. So I thought that getting a PhD was the best step to do that, to ensure I could do that for my full career. Um, I never thought I wanted to be a PI and I never had concrete plans of what the end of my career would look like. Um, but I knew I enjoyed the lab work and the bench work and so I wanted to be able to do that um, fairly independently, whether as a research associate or whatever that might look like. <clears throat> so it wasn't ever really apparent to you that you wanted to ultimately be a principal investigator mm -hmm. or PI, but when did it become apparent to you that you wanted to be involved in science outreach? Mm -hmm. um, when I started in my lab, um, I was the first grad student that my PI had. So I had the advantage of um, both of us were trying to figure out what that meant and she was very helpful and supportive of me trying to figure out what I was interested in. And so I started taking on as many opportunities as I could. Um, I wanted a diverse set of experiences to see what I liked, what I didn't like. Um, I was always interested in trying new things at least once to see if it was a good fit. Um, so I knew that I liked working one-on-one. -on -one. Um, as the first PhD student, there was a lot of new students that came into the lab, high school, undergrad, and rotating PhD students that I was in charge of training. I liked the one-on-one -on -one, um, discussions with them. I liked sharing them what our lab did and getting them excited about our research. Um, I also had the interesting experience of um, working in a fundamental biology lab studying yeast at a medical school. And so in uh, departmental seminars and things like that, I often had to defend my work and we weren't studying a specific disease. So I had to explain to people why it was still exciting. And I found that I really enjoyed and was pretty good at getting people excited about the things I was excited in. So I thought about how I could do that as a career. Certainly, I don't have problems with yeast, considering <laughs> that what's interesting, people don't all, always realize that, that yeast can be infected by prions. Mm -hmm. So they have mad cow disease, mm -hmm. maybe they have a spongiform encephalopathy equivalent in yeast. <laughs> are, are any of your family members scientists? Nope, not at all. <laughs> um, most of my family um, got uh, jobs right out of high school. So most of my family works in factories back home. Um, my mom went back to school after I was in school and got her LPN. And I'm about the only one who has a degree of some sort. How easy is it for them to know or to explain to others what you do? <laughs> that is a good question. Um, I. It also helped not having family who was scientists. I was, you know, tried to explain my work in terms they would understand and got that practice along the way. Um, and although they never really got the titles that I have um, or what my degree was in, um, they knew she studies DNA and she studies you know, basic biology and how cells work. Um, so they, they, I think they explain in basic terms pretty well. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's an issue for all of us whose <laughs> parents haven't gone on to, to, yep. to college. 
One of the things I think has been very interesting in terms of your background is that while you were in graduate school, you started a nonprofit. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So one of the ways I was trying to gain experience, um, I had found out that this thing called informal science education was a career path some people took, and I didn't know much about what it was. Um, so I started researching how people do informal science education, so education to the general public that's not based in a school. Um, and I started reaching out to people in the city who do informal science education. And um, one of the things they tell you when you're looking to enter a new career field is to join the f professional societies that exist and you know get their newsletters, talk to people involved in it, um, get a feel for what's going on. And there wasn't anything like that. So I um, asked people, I used Twitter a lot to connect to people and see who was interested. Um, I asked people if they would be interested in having a group that talked about the different events going on in the city, different initiatives, what worked, what didn't work, what people in Indianapolis were learning about trying to share science with the public. Um, and there was a lot of interest. And so I set a meeting and invited everyone. I posted uh, things on citywide calendars such as Indie Hub. Um, invited people to this meeting to see who was interested. And um, we started meeting about once a month to see what we might want to do, how often people could meet, if people from these organizations that I was trying to connect, if they could join our meetings. Um, and what I learned very quickly in a matter of like three or four months was that people in Indianapolis doing informal science education have full-time jobs and do the informal science education after work and on the weekends. And so there's not a lot of time to make those connections. And most of the things that they are doing are for kids, K through 12, trying to get people interested in STEM careers. Um, I also noticed that a lot of PhD students and postdocs were very interested in doing outreach and didn't know how to do it, didn't know who to connect with to be able to do informal science education and share their work with the public. So um, some of us who had been able to come to the meetings, we ended up being mostly PhD students and recent graduates of the School of Medicine. Um, we started talking about um, what we could do to fill the gaps that we had found in those few months. And so we wanted to reach out to adults. We didn't, there was so much for kids already, and we didn't necessarily want to encourage people to enter STEM careers. We wanted to reach those people who had chosen another career. But science is still important to their everyday life. Um, it's important to know how to think critically about the scientific claims that come across in the media. And it's important to increase support for research and government funding for research. And that was the things that we were passionate about. So. I started Central Indiana Science Outreach with, um, there was uh, six of us initially, counting myself, and we started um, organizing a calendar of activities that are available across Central Indiana um, for all ages, anything that wasn't taking place at a school, uh, we would put on our calendar. And then we uh, partnered with the Center for Inquiry downtown on the canal and started having monthly uh, chats with researchers from across Indianapolis. Um, so then we've been continuing to grow that for about two years and we started um, 
or in May, we joined with Pint of Science, an international science festival, and we brought it to Indianapolis for the first time and did uh, three nights of events, three events each night for a total of nine events. So each event had its own theme. Some, it was, um, some were technology-based, some were anatomy-based, um, some were sociology. Um, and these took place at breweries and um, we had about at least 40 to 60 people at each event having a beer, chatting with scientists about their work and it was a huge success and we're just kind of running with that model. Yeah, that's really taken off nationwide mm -hmm. and a great way to educate the public about why science is cool and why it's an important in many ways. As m more people we can get who will help communicate science to others, it's sort of like a domino effect. Absolutely. Because there's strength in numbers in terms and also in strength in knowledge. Mm -hmm. that's, 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 <laughs> that's great. One of the major support systems, I guess, or major players in somebody's career path is, are, are mentors. Mm -hmm. And could you tell us a little bit about mentors that you've had who helped you along the way, maybe keeping you steady so that you, can, <laughs> that you find your way? And you mentioned your, your major professor was very supportive of you mm -hmm. as a graduate student to explore new things, although not all are, are, are like that because they're focused on training you how to be a PI mm -hmm. like them. Mm -hmm. Um, my PI was definitely fundamental. I don't know, um, with everything I was trying to do all at once, it would have been a challenge if my PI hadn't been supportive of it. Um, but I also reached out to the graduate office, Tara and Brandy were huge helps to me as well. Um, I reached out to uh, uh, Monica Henry, who used to be at, in the IBMG program at IUPUI now, um, and she helped me connect with some women who were huge helps as well. Um, I, I looked for people who had different experiences from me. I tried to think about what skills I wanted, what connections I needed that I wasn't going to get in the lab and reached out to people who had those skills or had those connections. Um, I also started volunteering at the Children's Museum and at the State Museum and made connections there. And just continually asking people like, who should I know, what should I know, um, what would you recommend, um, what do you think is important in your career field. So as quick as I could, meeting as many people as I could and asking as many questions as I could. It's that, that networking <laughs> that everybody talk, mm -hmm. talks about. When you were a postdoc, I believe, you, that's when you vol started volunteering at the Indiana State Museum? Or was that even as a graduate even student? Even as a grad student for a little bit, yeah. But, but I guess one of the positions that you had there, I, I guess in, in the State Museum, was something that maybe got your foot in the door? Is that a proper way to yeah. characterize that? Yeah, so the State Museum was one of the first organizations I reached out to on Twitter, actually. Mm. Um, when I was trying to start this organization, I didn't know what it would look like. Um, I reached out to people who did informal science education in the area. And most of the time when I'd tweet to an organization, they didn't answer back, but it was, you know, I was trying to do everything I could, so it was a quick and easy way to make connections. And whoever the wonderful person is that was running the Twitter account that day, um, sent me an email with the contact of who was then the director of education and outreach. And she came to our first meeting and she was a big support. Um, 
I talked to her about what I wanted to do and what my interests were. And she, um, they have, we have a naturalist lab at the State Museum where um, people can walk in and play in drawers and look through microscopes and get a sense of an idea of what it might be to be in a lab. Um, and so she had this idea, she wanted to, she wanted me to help her try and bring researchers into the lab um, to volunteer. And so I started working with her. Um, she then got a different position and the new director of education and outreach was also very excited in what we were doing at Senso. And so she helped us organize one of the Pint of Science events. She was one of the event coordinators for Beer Brewery, so she um, was the MC for all three nights and very active in our meetings for a year and planning. Um, she got to know me very well. Um, I was coordinating the whole event, so I she kind of reported to me. And then when I was looking for jobs, she got me the job at the State Museum. Um, I was started out part-time as a gallery programming specialist. I thought I was going to continue growing my nonprofit. Um, so she gave me an additional stable paycheck. And um, so then I started reporting to her. And she made the connection that one of the State Museum's strategic goals was to um, essentially Senso's mission statement to make mutually beneficial partnerships to highlight research across Indiana. So if I hadn't randomly sent out that tweet and made that connection, I mean, it might have taken a little longer to get where I am. <laughs> Tell me about social media and how important it is for what you do. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it was very important for the job that you now have, but maybe in terms of your, your outreach. Um, so I started doing everything through social media at first. Um, with Senso, we never had a budget, so when we wanted to promote an event, we got online and we used the um, Indianapolis-based calendars like I mentioned, we used Facebook, we used Twitter. Um, when I was trying to gain new experiences, I started a blog and you know, blogged about different things I was interested in. Um, like I mentioned, I was always interested in lots of different subjects and I found that as a grad student, focusing on my one specific project, as cool as that project was, I still was interested in astronomy and paleontology and so I was able to blog about that um, as well and so then that taught me a lot about working on the internet and setting up the website for Senso. Um, I have been working more to engage on Twitter as a science communication expert, um, as if I can call myself that. Um, there's a lot of great connections you can easily make on Twitter if you use like hashtag SciComm. There's a lot of um, people who tweet like professionally to share science. There are also writers for blogs um, and other things like that. And so you can learn a lot from Twitter as weird as it sounds about how to communicate science. And then you can also make connections um, with the public to help communicate that science. No, that's great. <laughs> so there, there's lots of opportunities mm -hmm. there in this 21st century world that mm -hmm. I think a lot of people use all the time for personal mm -hmm activities, but yet it's an opportunity to open the door for them potentially in a non-academic career path as well. Absolutely. Let me ask you, if you have somebody listening here in this podcast and they want to know, you know, what kind of advice would you give 
to somebody who's interested perhaps in, in a career in, in science outreach? You know, what kind of, you mentioned a few things, but mm -hmm. what kind of, somebody's asking you right now, okay, what can I do? I'm a PhD student, I'm in my fourth year and I mm -hmm. don't really know what I want to do, but I love talking to kids about how cool science is. What would you tell them? First of all, volunteer. Um, make those connections, get that experience talking to kids. Um, and volunteering also helped me as a grad student. I'd volunteer in the Dinosphere once a, year, a week um, on Sunday afternoons and then you know, have a fun time and go back to the lab refreshed for the week. So volunteer, get the experience, make the connections, um, figure out how you communicate with the public because everyone communicates differently and just you can't get those skills without actually doing it. Um, and then network, of course, but that can be so daunting a task and there's, it's hard to know who you should be networking with. Um, if you want to do science communication, reaching out to industry professionals isn't necessarily gonna be your best bet because they have proprietary information and they can't do as much outreach as they might like. Um, so thinking critically about who you should reach out to. Um, get on the internet and do as much research as you can. There are cool um, resources. K-C-A-I-S-E uh, is the Center for Advancement of Informal Science Education. They have cool uh, resources online. Also, Aztec, A-S-T-C, is the Association of Science and Technology Centers. So these are national organizations? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, the Aztec resource I really enjoy because they have a job bank. Um, it is mostly science centers and museums, but you can get a sense of what kind of jobs are out there. You can look at job descriptions and see what kind of skills you need, what people are looking for. Um, I also went to their conference one year um, in Raleigh, spent a week learning about, like from these informal science educating experts, um, learned some really cool things, met Steve Spangler, who's on Ellen all the time doing fun science activities. Um, and so just keeping an open mind, learning from the experiences that you have and learning from what others are doing um, and thinking about how you can gain those skills to help supplement what you're learning in grad, grad school and how you can creatively tie these things together. Um, there are not a lot of jobs out there, so you have to think creatively about how to make a job for yourself often. Great. I think that's that's probably pretty good advice no matter what career path yeah. you, you yeah. go in. Is there any question or questions that you think I should have asked you in terms of getting to understand your career path? Hmm. It would be helpful to our audience. Um, not that I can think of right now. I think you asked a lot of good questions. I covered a lot of the things that I did. So uh, keep keep a positive attitude is important. Um, I also started looking at building my career as a big experiment. So trying things that didn't work and just learning from the negative results. Um, surrounding yourself with positive people, which is hard in grad school. Um, so staying positive and persevering is maybe an important thing that I hadn't covered yet. <laughs> Great. Mel, thank you for joining us on Pathways. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Melanie Fox, for sharing her story of the journey that landed her as the Science and Innovation Program Developer at the Indiana State Museum. 
I also thank all of you listeners for joining me on this edition of Pathways. Remember that you can find us on iTunes under Pathways. We have the audio from our broadcast, and for some of our interviews, we have captured the video as well. Join us next time on Pathways as we explore the career paths of biomedical PhD degree holders in their exciting non-academic positions. I'm Randy Brutkowitz. The theme music for Pathways, Supernova, was composed by Aaron Brutkowitz. Pathways is a production of the Indiana University School of Medicine.